Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. If your vendor had to notify you of a fraudulent payment, you don't have enough controls. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 271, Plug Up the Gaps in Your Vendor Process. And this is really an audio version of the LinkedIn newsletter that I did for January 2024. And if you are not subscribed to it, I will put a link to that in the show notes. But the title of that is, if you had to wait for a vendor to notify you of a fraudulent payment, you don't have enough controls. And so I chose to do that topic for January as opposed to additional IRS topics because January is always good for two things. One is finding out all about the fraud that happened in December when everyone was busy with the chaos and distractions of year end and the holidays. And also the IRS tax filing that's coming up beginning with uh, January 31st with the filing of the 1099 uh, forms, filing and distribution actually of the 1099 forms. It really begins that process all the way through March where you're filing and distributing your 1042S forms. So January is really all about those two topics, uh, but I did chose to or choose to make January 2024's newsletter on LinkedIn all about the fraud topic because I do have a new free training that I will tell you about. Uh, And it's actually the name of this podcast uh, episode title. Uh, One, the LinkedIn article or newsletter title was very long. And two, it really relates back to the free training. And I'll again, I'll talk about that in just a moment. So January is the time where uh, you start to find out I it's my busiest month of the year because that's when I get a bunch of calls because a bunch of folks find out that they made fraudulent payments in January. And the reason that it's in January is because 
they are being contacted by their vendors because now their vendors are missing it. And the reason, the other reason I wanted to do it is because uh, I very recently saw a press release um, and it was actually good news. It was about a victim that it was the city of Burlingame and I'll put a link to that press release too, but it, it was about a city in Burlingame who in 2019, found out that they had a fraud and they did all the things, right? They put the controls that they needed in place so that it wouldn't happen again. And I actually really like that saying that so that it wouldn't happen again, that resonated with me. And you'll see why when I get into the newsletter. But in any event, uh, that really was another thing that kind of prompted me to do this because that was, they didn't say, but they just said they were notified or they found out about, which means that someone told them and it was like right on time where it was getting to be January. And I was thinking that's what's going to happen with a bunch of, you know, AP teams, vendor teams, companies in January. And so I decided to do that for the, or that topic for the uh, January newsletter in LinkedIn. And I will also say that it was, it was good news. I think I mentioned it before for the city of Burlingame because the press release, and I think it was their third one because they came out with one when it happened back in 2019, but this one came out late in 2023 and it was, uh, identifying the fact that they recovered. So the loss was a little over $500,000 and they recovered about a little over $422,000 of that, which is not bad. But keep in mind, that's been a four-year thing going on. I mean, they had insurance, but their insurance was, I think it was capped at $250,000. Uh, and by the way, they did have a $50,000 deductible, but somehow they were able to get that waived. So that's not bad. But again, the insurance did not cover the whole thing, but they were able to recover uh, some of the funds because they actually did find out within a week or two of the original fraudulent payment. So they were able to recover. But that article or press release coming out when it did just reminded me that it's a great time to start talking in January about fraud and what you can do to put additional controls in place. And so that's where this article or newsletter for January came from. And so I'm going to go ahead and just kind of go through it because I do give you some immediate takeaways. And I think I call them next step to take now or one step to take now is what I call them. So let's get into it. So again, the name of the newsletter and LinkedIn is if you had to wait for a vendor to notify you of a fraudulent payment, you don't have enough controls. And so I started off by talking about my first grown-up job where no one gave me any slack because I was young and cute. And you know, that goes away after a while. Um, but that was really the first job that I learned a lot. And the best thing that I learned and that has stayed with me to this day is that if I made a mistake, it was my responsibility to do three things. One, to try to discover it before anyone else did. Now, sometimes even to this day that works and sometimes it doesn't. Two was to fix it. 
That I always do. And then three is to put a a process in place so that it does not happen again. And I always do that too. And that's the part that I was saying from the City of Burlingame press release that really stuck out or resonated with me because you have to put processes in place. And let me just say before I even get to that part, a confirmation call is not enough. Because if that was the silver bullet that everyone keeps telling us it is, there would be no fraud. All right, so let's start with going through each of those three things that I learned uh, and really comparing it or bringing it into context with the vendor process. So the first one, uh, discover it. If you make a mistake, a fraudulent payment, discover it before the vendor does. So again, this January, which is typically the month where many companies will be notified by their vendors looking for payments that were due in December, uh, they'll be notifying you or the companies that they did not receive them. And then after some research, the vendor team or you will realize that during the year end, again, feel with distractions of the increased volume of invoices, rushed vendor setups, which always come around at year end, and of course, the holidays. Uh, And so remittance information somehow was changed based on a fraudulent request. And the reason why you want to make sure you discover it before the vendor does is because by the time the vendor follows up on the missing payment, so in January for that December payment, it could be now days, weeks, right, a month later and too late to recall or recover the fraudulent pay, uh, fraudulent ACH payment from your bank or too late to put a stop payment on the check. And by the way, if you haven't heard my some of my other podcasts where I refer to check fraud and how it's exploding, you might want to listen, uh, take a listen to some of the episodes because I really talk about uh, controls for checks to prevent both internal and external fraud. But I have one specifically about why check fraud is exploding right now. And this one was back in February of 2023. It was episode 226. So check that out if you didn't realize that, you know, check fraud is is back and it's increasing. But um, the point with saying that is, is that it's not, you may not just be notified from vendors that had an ACH payment that they're looking for. And you could also be notified by vendors that have check payment methods where the fraudsters were successful in having the remittance address where that check was sent, that remittance address updated to a fraudulent address. So it could be uh, both. Um, But the point is, is by the time the vendor reaches out, it may be too late to get the funds back. And so one step that I do recommend that you take now is uh, to be proactive, is to contact, run a report and contact all of the vendors that had remittance changes 
and payments in December and just verify that they received the payment. That is a great control that you can put into place. You don't have to do it with all of your payments. You can do it with um, like a combination of criteria. Vendors that have had remittance changes in the last 30, 60, 90 days or the last 30 days or at year end with invoices that are over a specific amount. So maybe you don't want to chase down that 20. Actually, you do want to chase down that $25 payment vendor that had a remittance uh, change because you could be paying them a higher amount in uh, in the next uh, payment. So, you know, I recommend that you uh, look at two different criteria. One is the remittance change in a certain amount of days, and the other is the invoice or payment amount. But I have had clients that say, you know what, we can't afford to lose any money to fraud. And so we expanded the remittance uh, change period from 30 to 90 days. So we use the maximum of that. And then we use the zero as the payment amount or invoice amount. And so that way, you just checked everyone that had a remittance change within the last 90 days. So I would recommend that you do that to be proactive um, because your vendors may not recognize it until uh, late January, February, and then beyond. And definitely by that time, it's too late to recover the funds, and you may have even paid the vendor again. And now when your vendor does contact you, they're looking for multiple payments. So that is one thing that I do recommend that you be proactive and do. And then that is also something that I recommend that you, uh, one control that you use on a consistent basis, just have it as part of your process. But again, don't just take that one control and think you're going to solve your whole problem. You need to plug up all your gaps. All right. Uh, so that was discover it before the vendor does. So you make a mistake or someone makes a mistake, makes a fraudulent payment. It's best to discover it before the vendor does. Now, the second part is to fix it. And in relation to a fraudulent payment, that means really remedying. I think that's the right word. That's what I use in the article is to fix or remedy the fraudulent payment. And What that really means is that you need to implement your fraud response plan. So this fraud response plan really should be unique for your company's process and or policy. Um, Maybe your company, like the city of Burlingame, has an insurance policy. And so now you've got to follow a specific process to file a claim. Uh, Maybe you can talk your insurance company, if you have a deductible, into um, not requiring that deductible the same way, again, that the city of Burlingame was able to do. So you've got a process around that. And then maybe after reviewing the email string that requested the remittance change, uh, it was determined that it came from the vendor's legitimate email account, right? That was hacked because the vendor 
uh, inadvertently gave away their login information to the fraudsters, maybe through a uh, phishing scam. And so the fraudsters were able to get into their actual email. That actually does happen a lot. But maybe that was discovered and maybe your company's policy, like I am seeing more and more, have determined that they are not going to remedy the uh, fraudulent payment because the request did come from their email. Or maybe you want to take it to the uh, take it to the financial institution or the bank level, because I've seen some. Uh, court cases that have ruled in favor of the plaintiffs and against the financial institution for allowing that fraudulent payment to be made. But whatever that is, you should have that documented and it should be in a fraudulent, in your fraud response plan. And if you don't have one, um, I do recommend you create one. And I do have, and I will link it in the show notes, a fraud response plan video that I did on my uh, YouTube channel where every Tuesday I post a vendor master file tip of the week. So again, I'll link that in the show notes. Now, the next thing is to put, uh, the third thing again is to put a process in place so it doesn't happen again. And when I say that, I that's where really the title of this podcast episode comes in. Plug up the gaps in your vendor process so that it does not happen again. Now, nothing is 100% proof, but there were gaps in the process that resulted in a fraudulent payment um, for all of those that were our victims. And so this is really a key. And you can't just add that confirmation call. Uh, you can't just add a tip or two that, and I'll put this out there that you heard from me, and I said this earlier, because you may not be able to plug up the gaps with just a tip or two or a control here or there. And two great examples of that. One, I had an accounts payable manager reach out to me like years ago, and I'm sure it is still happening where the frosters were consistently contacting her team. Uh, and what they would do is they would pretend to be those vendors that most people have, most companies have, they're quite common. They'll, uh, they would pretend to be those uh, vendors, they would call in and they would ask when the next payment was scheduled. And when they found out that the payment was about to be generated and it was for a significant amount of money, and then the frosters would hang up and they would send a request to change banking via email. Now, the manager did indicate that they were making the confirmation call and they would find out that the vendor was not the one uh, that requested the change. And so it never, well, I won't say never, but she didn't indicate that they ever had a fraudulent payment. But the reason that she reached out was all of the manual time it took to do that. So that, that confirmation call, as you know, can be a very manual um, process. The vendors don't always pick up, so you got to keep doing it. And then if you're not making that confirmation call directly yourself, you don't really know what the folks that are supposed to be making it 
what they're really doing, uh, what they're really doing. And I've talked about this before, but I had a couple clients back in the summer of 2022 where they did have that confirmation call in place. And there were some scenarios that resulted in uh, either the confirmation call not being valid or the confirmation call not being done before the payment went out. So what this really shows is that there is a gap when these fraudsters or vendors are calling in or emailing in maybe to the help desk or vendor inquiry desk and asking these uh, questions related to payment status or how do I change my banking? There's a gap there that doesn't identify a fraudulent request and uh, allows it to move forward to actually submitting in a change. So that's one. And then another scenario, and I see this often, is where the vendor supporting documentation is received from the internal employee and not the vendor team. And so how do you know, right? How does the vendor team know where the internal employee received the documents from, right? The internal employee could could have been social engineered just as well as anyone else. And they haven't had the training that I recommend, right? They haven't had that training. And really their focus is not even on that. It's whatever they, you know, connected with the vendor to do, provide services, uh, get product in, right? They're focus is not on making sure they have the uh, validated data. They just want to hurry up and get the vendor set up so that they can get the services, get the products, or get the invoice paid if they've already used it up. And so amongst my clients, I have seen where the assumption that whatever comes from the internal team member is good has resulted in a fraudulent payment. All right, so those are the two gaps that I see that are uh, most common. And I actually had two more in the LinkedIn article, which I'm going to go over really quickly. The first one is relying only on validation tools. So again, this time of year, I get the question all the time of, well, what tools are out there that I can validate bank account ownership for my vendor? And that's all and great. But just understand that that's not a silver bullet either, because not all banks participate. There can be certain nuances that maybe you don't think about. Um, For example, you need to make sure that you have both commercial and consumer or whatever the terms are, because uh, especially if you know that you have vendors that um, may be individuals, uh, sole proprietor, single member LLC that may not have business accounts. Maybe they have consumer accounts. And so you have to make sure that you have um, both. You also need to understand if the um, tool that you're using has some type of a score, what does the scoring mean? Um, I worked with a client that did have a tool and they were passing or assuming that a validation was successful with a specific score because nobody really read what that uh, explanation for that score was. So make sure you know that. And then also lastly about these validation tools, again, is that you're not going to find all your vendors um, in, uh, you're not going to have a hit, right? It's a hit rate. And some of them may not be as high as you want them to be. And so you still need to be able to 
or you still need to have a process in place for when you can't validate bank account ownership, which might be a little more often than um, you assume it's going to be when you sign up for these tools. Not saying it's not a good thing to do. I'm just saying is that you're not going to find them all. And so you still need to have a valid process. All right. So the last gap that I want to talk about is vendor validations. And I see this a lot too. Everyone wants to know what everyone else is doing and they implement that or they take what they did, the validations they were performing at their last employer and take it to the next employer, not understanding that maybe they have a different um, vendor mix, maybe they have uh, are in a different industry. And so that calls for different validations or it can call for different validations. And so your validations need to be customized based on your vendor types, your vendor country. So that could be, you know, U.S. versus Europe versus Canada, uh, industry, government versus nonprofit versus healthcare versus public company versus non-public company or private company. Um, Don't just rely on what everyone else is doing identify what is required for uh, your specific company and then perform them consistently, uh, not only at new vendor setup, but whenever you have an existing vendor change and when you clean your vendor master file. And I do have a resource for that. It's actually always in the show notes is the vendor validation reference list with resource links. Um, That really has a list of validations and it's based on, it's sorted based on the form or document that you will uh, find it on. So it would be, I've got a section for the IRS WA, W9. I have a section for the banking information. And uh, by the way, I do include not just the free resources to validate bank branch data, which you should be doing, but I also have the tools that I am aware of for bank account ownership validation if you'd like to uh, reach out to those providers. Now, those are the four gaps that I see most often. There are definitely other gaps in the vendor process. And so what I recommend is that you plug up the those gaps. And I do have some free training that I actually just created for 2024 that is on the Vendor Process Training Center. It is uh, called Vendor Process Redesign, plug up the gaps in your vendor process to avoid fraud, fines, and bad vendor data. And you can do it. And I did identify a seven-step process that you can go through. And I even included three downloads, free downloads that uh, is with the training session. One is a desktop procedure template. So once you uh, revise or plug up the gaps and revise your vendor process, you can document it. And if you can document it, now that means it can be auditable. The next one is the IRS W-8 expiration date tracker. And I don't know if I did a podcast on this before the end of December or not, because December 31st is always kind of D-Day with those W-8s that expire. They expire 12th the third year 
uh, uh, based on the signature date, but it's always 1231 of that third year. Uh, but any event, if you missed it, or if you don't have a way to track it, and it was kind of fumbling around trying to get them, this will help you. Uh, the next one is, of course, a vendor validation reference list that I just talked about. It's actually attached to this training, so you can get it there if you want to take it. And I will put a link to the training in the show notes. Now, while you are in the training, and one thing you don't see here, but I did include in the LinkedIn newsletter is the authentication validation management, that three-step uh, vendor setup and maintenance process. So again, you can avoid fraud, fines, and bad vendor data. Within that frameworks is five authentication techniques, 29 internal controls, 17 best practices, and 16 vendor validations that you can review to see where you can use any of those to plug up the gap. So I do talk about that also though in the uh, plug up the gaps training session and I talk about how you can get access to it. So make sure you check the show notes and click through if you want to take that free training. You will need to sign up on the vendor process uh, training center, but signing up will give you access to uh, the resource library um, that has uh, tax reporting information right at the vendor process level. It also has NACHA rules. I put vendor validations in there as well. You have access to vendor process FAQs. So uh, signing up gives you some perks in addition to be able to not only this free training session, but I have two other free training sessions as well. So that is it for today. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 271st episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.